Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Alice Williams, founder and CEO of Luminary Bakery, a social enterprise supporting disadvantaged women to reach their potential. After volunteering with an NGO in Thailand supporting women who were trying to leave the sex industry, Alice returned to London knowing that gender-based violence and disadvantage was far too common in her home city too. Alice sought a way to help and an idea came when a colleague at the Community Cafe Alice Managed started running baking lessons in a nearby women's homeless hostel. What if they could train and employ women from vulnerable backgrounds to bake and sell their own products? Luminary Bakery was launched in 2013. Described by the Queen's Awards for Enterprise as a community of strength and solace, the all-female bakery and charity is providing a safe, professional environment and building far more positive futures. Hello and how are you? Hi, I'm happy to be here. Good, that's that's lucky because if you weren't, you're, you're stuck. <laughs> you're stuck for a bit. T- tell me a bit about the Luminary Bakery in your own words. What, what's it about? Where did the idea come from? We've heard a little bit about where it came from, but from your own perspective, sure. why are we here talking about this nine years later? Mm. Yeah, so I guess at its heart, Luminary set up to empower women who couldn't get opportunities elsewhere. So women who were really on the margins and experiencing violence and disadvantage, multiple layers of both of those. And why we started, I guess, was through me meeting women locally in East London where I was working who were experiencing those kind of circumstances. So either homelessness or being caught up in the sex industry is a red light area around uh, the cafe that I used to work in in East London. So, yeah, kind of seeing that up close and seeing women really desperate and living in poverty and putting themselves in dangerous situations every day to to scrape by in a city where there is so much wealth and so much opportunity but those weren't matching up. I remember doing street outreach with an organisation and and met a woman who was yeah in serious poverty and it was in Whitechapel and literally if I looked up from that conversation there were skyscrapers behind us and it's the city there's there's a lot of wealth and there's such a, a disconnect and for me just I couldn't believe that those two things could exist together and there need to be ways for people who've had those kind of experiences to be able to move forward from them and to see a different future for themselves and um, so I think for me social enterprises that create employment opportunities are the way for women to do for, for us it's women obviously there's lots of need everywhere so that's yeah essentially the gap we wanted to fill that we wanted women to be able to build a different future for themselves mm. and not be surviving day to day but actually building something for themselves and for their families and i want to come back to those issues specifically because they're they're big and there's horrendous things that happen every day as you said in in london where we happen to be now but but all over why baking out of interest Mm. well disclaimer i'm not a baker me neither i mean (laughs) terrible i think i've baked one cake and that was with my one of my daughters and it was banana bread Um, but i was well it was pretty good actually i was really excited because i'm literally i mean how can i age 51 only ever bake once so i I want to do it again starting i think she helped me quite a lot it wasn't it wasn't very difficult but i was really proud genuinely proud and uh, do you know what as someone who has yeah kind of ventured into that maybe a little bit trepidatiously if that's the word um 
and then seeing the results of it. It's amazing. I, I genuinely think that is the power of baking. It's like, it's like gardening. You, you put something in and it grows. And it it's grows. Brilliant. It's but brilliant. I mean, gardening, sometimes it does. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. It's true. You need a bit of help on that front. But we've, more. yeah, I think that's exactly it. What we've seen is that the women that we work with have never taken a moment for themselves. They've always been in survival mode. So to be given the opportunity to get a bit creative and to make something that then someone wants to pay money for and actually va- like sees the value in that, it brings a lot of value and purpose, I think, to the individual. There's a lot of self-esteem building when it works and it goes right. There's a lot of resilience built when it doesn't. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just remember a, a woman making a loaf of bread and obviously bread changes completely when you put it in the oven from the mix that you, you're kind of working on and you spend quite a long time kneading it. So it's, it is perseverance is one of the skills that you develop um but then yeah taking her bread out of the oven and giving it to her she burst out crying and was like that looks so perfect i don't and i think i i'm trying to describe the power of that process i guess is is the answer to why baking for the women the process that it takes them on but also just really crucially it creates a a tangible job opportunity for them it's a vocation and there's a lot of jobs in the hospitality sector they're always hiring (laughs) Um, and it's a skill that you can learn at any age and no matter what kind of qualifications or background you have so it's quite an accessible skill to learn. The vulnerability piece and the fact that, that you know, you talked about homelessness and uh, women that come from the sex industry and, and so on, these are really serious issues. And I had a glance at some of the impact reports that you put together over the years, and it's extraordinary work. How do you and your team ensure that you're all qualified to deal with, with people that are in a post-traumatic state? Mm. I mean, it's not just like you're having putting someone off the street who happens to be in another job and then you're training them. There's really serious issues which are both presenting and I imagine not presenting. Are there people in the, in the business that help you triage that, as it were? It's really good insight. And yes, it is really complex. And the situations that the women are coming from are complicated ones. Mm. As a starter, we see ourselves as kind of the final jigsaw piece in a woman's life before she's able to kind of move on and live independently. Um, So there's a lot of work that goes on with other agencies before she even gets to us. So we're not a crisis response, we're not emergency services. There's quite a lot of NHS care and other charities that enable women to find refuge and to have a safe home and to get off the street, etc. So all of that happens before she's then referred to Luminary. So usually at that point, she's out of danger, as it were, not to say that there's not a risk of her kind of being re-exploited, say so that there's a lot of uh, safeguarding that does go on. So we have, yeah, quite a lot of safeguarding protocols and experts within the organisation, but then also specialists in kind of a few different areas. So domestic abuse is, us- is the highest uh, form of gender-based violence that, that we experience, and I think that is kind of generally across the UK, although there are nine kind of recognised strands of gender-based violence that stem from stalking harassment to FGM to sexual exploitation and domestic abuse is just the the most common so we do have an independent domestic violence advocate which is a a certification you can get within our team as one of our support workers Um, but we definitely aren't specialists in everything Um, I think our key focus is employment so we've got a team who are trained as specialist trainers um, and that's kind of our main focus but each woman that comes to us is allocated a progression support worker and those women are kind of highly experienced support workers who've worked in the field but then we refer out to other organizations and make sure that where she's got maybe a housing need or a childcare need or a mental health need that we are joined up working with all those other services and that's what's great about being in London is that there are lots of other services that we can mm-hmm. make sure those 
all those different areas of her life are covered. All of this is very human, right? I mean, these are about, these are about people. You must find yourself being emotionally, maybe you got used to it, but there's a bit of a roller coaster thing here that must go on in the same way that, are, you know, people talk about bedside manner of doctors and, and things and, and or psychologists and the, the sense of really caring about the human but also being able to remove yourself enough that you can carry on doing the same and giving the great service to the next woman that comes along. How do you personally manage manage that? Because on the one side, you're running an organisation, you're thinking about the structure, you're thinking about funding, you're thinking about all the things, the exigencies of running this organisation. Mm. And on the other side, you've got real people, women who, as you said, have been abused, horrendous situations. How do you ensure you keep that distance? That's such a good question and it is a daily balancing act. I mean, literally earlier this week I was on an investor call but I had a, another phone call about a woman who one of our team was supporting who was um, expressing that she was suicidal. So literally jumping from those two very different, both really important but one more urgent than the other conversations um, and having to switch gears is, yeah, a daily balancing act. In terms of like the way that I process that, I think having... A really strong team is essential because I need to know that that woman is looked after even if I'm not available and also being really clear with her about what she can expect from Luminary and what she can't. So yeah, we aren't available 24 hours a day. Like if she is in crisis, she needs to ring someone else. Um, so we need to make sure that she's got all the, right, the appropriate numbers, etc. So for me, knowing that there are other people that can pick that up helps me sleep at night. Um, I know if I go home and I'm not contactable, that, and the same for my team, that they can switch off and know that that woman is safe and, and covered. But we all have, it's quite kind of standard practice to have case supervision and, and professional supervision, which means you can offload the kind of emotional weight that you're carrying to a professional who can help you work through a how to support that woman better and b how to make sure you're not carrying it and getting kind of traumatized by what you're hearing from her stay with me more from my guest alice williams she'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk about her organization and it's called luminary bakery just in case you haven't picked that up right now that we're going to hear a taster from the michigan academy digital sessions they can be found on all the major podcast platforms michigan directors victoria pickett and dr rebecca newton organizational psychologist and ceo of coach advisor discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards the michigan academy digital sessions Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Getting women on boards, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of research that's been done and we know from research that having women in positions of leadership in organisations and having women on boards makes a difference to the performance of the company, to the culture of the company and to the effectiveness of the board or senior teams themselves. And when you say it makes a difference, um, it improves productivity, it improves how employees feel about their jobs. Is it is it that kind of tangible thing that improves? Yes. Like I said, it, it impacts culture. It also, I mean, in terms of the most tangible outcomes, it improves business performance. So, for example, one study that was done of 11,000 companies in Australia over a six-year period, they had a look at women in leadership positions and found that a female CEO, for example, increased the market value of that organization by 5%, which is worth nearly 80 million Australian dollars on the ASX 200 companies that they were looking at. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. 
Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, just ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll be greeted with a taster of our recent shows. But back to today, it's Alice Williams, founder and CEO of Luminary Bakery, a social enterprise supporting disadvantaged women to reach their potential. So there's a social enterprise business, but there's also a limited company. So you've got to obviously make money, and the more money you make, the more you can then plough back in to doing all the good things that you do. Is there a tension in that for you, or is it simply that, listen, we can't get bigger, we can't do more unless we make money? There is a constant balancing act. I wouldn't necessarily always call it a tension, but not all decisions that the business makes are commercial decisions. They are balancing commercial with impact and mission decisions. So the business has to be profitable, has to make money in order to employ women. That's why we exist. And those those jobs aren't there unless the trading income is there. However, we do commit to a lot of extra costs that another business wouldn't um, incur to facilitate those job placements and uh, work experience and make sure that that first experience of the world of work for a woman is the best possible one. So there is a constant balancing act of, is this decision that we're making here balancing profitability with having the biggest impact that we possibly can in a woman's life and then in as many women's lives as possible. So there, yeah, we, we run all of the kind of trading operations under the business entity and all of the training and support under the charity entity. So we can access grant funding and donations to make sure that all of that is still happening no matter how successful the business is. So for example, during COVID, when we had to close our cafes, that didn't stop us running training for women because we had charity income to cover those. Is it fun kind of having to be in both worlds? Yeah, fun's a good word. <laughs> I is, think... it, is it challenging, he says euphemistically, <laughs> Alice? Is that a better one? <laughs> I, think it's, um, I think it is fun, actually. It is, it's really... I came from the charity world, so that is definitely kind of more my background. And it's been really fun experiencing running a business. And I've definitely needed kind of specialists in the business team to make sure that we are running it as we need to and yeah I think it is a really it creates interesting conversations and and opportunities I think as well um but definitely a lot of challenges that maybe a business or a charity wouldn't understand because mm. it's we are navigating both worlds in terms of some of those more commercial decisions are there times when you just go do you know what I wish I didn't have to make them and my real focus is on helping women or would you not admit that anyway <laughs> she's smiling um do I do that? I guess my question is, where are you most comfortable? Mm. When is it that, that, that Alice is going, this is my sweet spot, this is my purpose in life, mm. and the thing I'm doing now is directly moving things forward yeah. to help in, in, a, in, in terms of your purpose to empower women to reach their potential? Yeah, it's a great question. I think when things are going well and everything underneath me is running smoothly, the business is operating smoothly, the charity is operating smoothly, and we're creating job opportunities for women those women are loving those opportunities and it's really working, that every decision I'm making, even if it's a really boring one or I'm working on a spreadsheet or something, I I, I do feel like I'm thriving um, because it's all working. But the difficult decisions, I think, are the hardest for me are the ones that are really going to affect a woman's life. So if we 
have to make a decision not to employ this woman because we don't think she's ready yet. Um, I know that in the long run that's better for her because we'd rather she she started when she was ready and then she succeeds rather than drops out. But those are the things I think for my that grate against my values a bit. And and when that happens, what do you do? I have to talk them through with quite a lot of people. I think before I am willing to make a decision because it feels like it's such a big responsibility when you've got someone's future in your hands. So, yeah, I think some of my team perhaps think I take too long to make decisions. But I'm really glad that I get multiple perspectives through our advisory board and through our senior leadership team that I really respect. And we can kind of thrash those decisions out and make sure that we've thought of every possible angle before we do make a a really big decision. You mentioned it before you alluded to it, the, your leadership style and it sounds like it's very collaborative and like you you do need to process things especially those hard decisions is there a particular person that you always trust or is it is it a bit more of a sort of a, a, a cohort of people that then you depend on depending on the issue at, at hand yeah i would say it's the latter so it probably depends on the the person's kind of particular perspective so for example if we have a decision we have to make about a route we want to go down with investment then I'd really trust there's a a guy on our board who is really experienced with that and I just really would trust his opinion on it I I probably would still get a few other opinions just to to hear Um, but then uh, for example our commercial director has loads of marketing experience so she tells me we need to invest in this because this is what we're going to see I do I do need quite a lot of data to be able to make a decision so if yeah, I think if I can either be convinced by people talking me through it or see on paper, right, this is a no-brainer, yeah, I would usually look at a few different things and look to people with specialisms. Just going back a little bit, thinking about how you kind of ended up in the, the volunteering world, the NGO world and so on, at what point in your life did you know that you wanted to do good things for people as well as all the other things that, that, that come with it. And by the way, I'm not implying, of course, that those people in the commercial world, including myself, are not interested in doing good things. But yeah, specifically, not. what what was? do you remember if there was a moment or is this just did it just creep up on you? I think it's been all the way through my life. I don't think I... I yeah, I didn't grow up having to worry about where my next meal was going to come from. And I think that meant I was able to think, what do I want to do with my life rather than think I need to make money Mm. Um, and I totally understand uh, different motivations but I had really good examples in my parents and in the church that I grew up in that you do what you can to look after people around you so that was kind of instilled in me as well so yeah I I think the first career I ever wanted to do was be a youth worker even though I was a young person at the time but um, yeah so then I, I studied in youth and community work um, with applied theology. With applied theology. I mean, I like that. I haven't seen that degree before, Alice. Uh, I know, a little bit niche. At, at Gloucestershire <laughs> University, in case you're interested. Uh, yeah, great degree. Um, yeah, I've never really thought that I would want to do something a bit more commercial. So actually, yeah, stepping into social enterprise where there is this kind of uh, you need to make money kind of aspect to it has been a journey for me. Um, at my wedding, my dad said, obviously a proud dad, she could have been anything and she chose to do this low-paying career. <laughs> I was like, could I have been anything? I don't think I ever really thought, oh, I could do something that's a bit more high-paying. Yeah, I think just I've always been motivated that with my career, I wanted to do something that helps people and I've never really considered anything other than that. And those people you consult, just going back to that question before, do you actually quite like it that they're not like you? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that, I think that come. I'm like you say. I'm very collaborative in the way I make decisions, and I quite deliberately have built like a senior leadership team and a board who are very different to me because I know that that's where strength lies is when you're kind of covering all bases, as it were. So there are people in the organisation who are more like me, but um, senior decision making team are. Yeah, a real mix of personality types and thinkers and experiences. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest there. It's Alice Williams, just in case you hadn't noticed. And we've got some brilliant snarky puppy. That's in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Alice Williams, my business shaper, just for a few more minutes. We've been talking about all sorts of stuff. Obviously, in your business, I'm going to call it business for a minute, and like any business, the most important thing is impact and numbers of women that can actually be affected positively. You've opened your second cafe in Camden, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But in terms of the the vision for scale, where does it begin and end? Mm. Hopefully it doesn't end. Um, In terms of where where we're trying to grow, pre-COVID, we were thinking probably you know, expand, open more bakeries across London than across the UK. Post-COVID, actually, our, our kind of short-term focus is growing our online store and also corporate business seems to be our sweet spot. Left the Bakers working on an immensely large order that's going out uh, this week to a large corporate. They're doing a kind of get your team back in the office treat for all of their sites across the UK. So that is a really kind of area of opportunity for us. So we're really trying to grow that and it it just directly creates jobs for women. We've had a, a woman on a six-month apprenticeship programme that finished last week and we we're instantly able to say, here's some shifts for you to do as soon as you finish that on the, getting this massive order out. And yeah, she's pumped. So yeah, that's where we're growing over the next year. And then we'll kind of see how how cafes do they are picking up again um kind of people seem to be out and about a lot more and spending time in cafes um so yeah if if the online store and the corporates are, are flying um we're probably gonna need a, another production site at some point because our kitchens will hit capacity so yeah possibly a new site with um, a front of house area as well you're prolific on uh, social media, almost 50,000 uh, followers, which some people say, what do you mean 50,000? That's nothing, but I think that sounds like quite a lot to me uh, on Instagram. Meghan Markle opened the bakery, helped open the bakery back in 2019. Awareness is obviously critical to a, to an organisation like yours. Was there a Meghan impact in terms of interest? Yeah, absolutely. I think, our, I can't remember the numbers, but our Instagram following certainly saw a spike after she had uh, visited the bakery and got to know the women and talked about it. And yeah, I guess kind of given us a bit of endorsement, both for the model, but also for the product. And it's been really great having like quite high profile supporters. Uh, the locations of both our cafes means we do get a fair few celebs popping in, which is very nice, especially if they post about it on their I was going to say, are they, are they happy to lend, <laughs> to lend their, their awareness to yours? Uh, yeah, I think generally, obviously some just want to be able to live their lives and not be stalked. But <laughs> mm. um, yeah, definitely we get really, really good response from yeah, people just wanting to use their sphere of influence to see kind of the opportunities for women that Luminary offers grow bigger and better. If someone listening wanted to get involved, either whether it was a corporate or an individual, what would your your little request be to them? 
um, to email hello at luminarybakery.com <laughs> and we'll go from there. Yeah, there's like loads of different ways, either kind of ordering your birthday cake from us. You can have a look on our website. We've got our products on there. But also if you're doing events, we would love to work with you. Um, there's volunteering opportunities. There's, yeah, kind of endless uh, ways that we can work together. And just to be clear, I don't normally say that, but of course I think in this instance it's just so so specifically important that people do understand how they can help. Thank which you is, so much. Which, no, no, it's, it. it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant that you're doing it. We've run out of time, um, but I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all the different things that this, as I said, the nexus between the commercial and, and the not-for-profit has been brilliant. And just before I let you disappear and run off into the distance, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I've chosen uh, Nina Simone, My Baby Just Cares For Me. And I wanted to pick a woman, obviously. Nina Simone what a powerhouse, a survivor of domestic abuse herself, complicated life, but amazing uh, kind of use of music to talk about really serious, important things. She's an activist. I, I just have a lot of respect for her. Um, and uh, this song's not necessarily a protest song. It's from much earlier in her career, but it's one I used to listen to in the car with my mum. So Nina Simone there with My Baby Just Cares For Me, the song choice of my business shaper today, Alice Williams. She talked about the big responsibility she feels every day in her organisation. You can understand why dealing with those kinds of issues that she is. She talked about the need to switch gears between dealing with a woman's life and what lays in front of her and also with the more commercial aspects of the organisation. And she talked about the decision-making process and how collaborative she is and how important it is to her to have people that are very different to her. They don't all have to be the same. And in fact, the more difference there is, the better the decision will be. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>